0: Morning, Grace. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, worship team. I said first service. I'm going to say it again. Sometimes I wish we could invert the worship service. Uh, do do the the scripture passage for the day at, at the beginning. Do the sermon and then sing all the songs. Because I'm I'm coming to this having you know kind of. Been, been swimming in, in our passage this morning, Psalm 46, as you turn there, uh, and, and, and all of these songs, I'm just, I always marvel at the song selection, I, I, just, I appreciate so much uh, Kenny and, and Caleb and, and Walt and, and everyone who helps lead worship here, uh, how intentional they are at um, aligning the, the songs we sing with the text that we're going to hear from, and uh, it makes it all the more rich to, to sing these things. Uh, so many words and images from all these songs and hymns and, and scripture passages uh, are, are a foreshadowing of the passage we have before us here. We're doing a, a summer series on the Psalms, and uh, somewhat in random fashion, and this week we have Psalm 46. And so if you're there in your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and stand for, for the reading of Psalm 46 as these uh, words that we've sung are fresh in our minds. I want us to, to hear God's word. I'll be reading from the ESV To the choirmaster of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a psalm. God, is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your mighty power and for your steadfast love. We thank you for this magnificent psalm that gushes forth this bold declaration that you are our strong fortress. I pray that you would minister to us this morning as we bring our cares and our fears to you and lay them at your feet. I pray that you would give us comfort and peace and assurance through Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This week, just, the, just yesterday I think, uh, my Facebook uh, feed lit up with a story out of UC Irvine 500 high school graduates who were accepted to the University of California, Irvine, received letters saying that their admissions had been rescinded. And I read one story in particular of a young lady, the first in her family to attend college and the devastation that this communication has left on her and her family. I want us to start with application for this psalm, and I want to start with a question. I want you to write the answer if you can. Somebody came up to me after uh, first service and I couldn't write it down, and I understand why, and you'll understand when I ask you the question. Here's the question. What's that one letter you fear receiving this week? What's that notice in the mail you dread What's that phone call in the middle of the night that makes you tremble? What news headline might you read in the paper tomorrow morning or the Facebook news story, assuming that it's not fake, that would cause your knees to buckle? Write that hypothetical headline down that imagined, dreaded phone call or communication meeting with the boss. Write it down. Put it before you. Put it before the Lord. Because this morning, the key idea in this psalm is this, that in the face of our worst imaginable catastrophes, we can rest secure in God's presence as we await his future glory. I'm gonna say it again. In the face of our worst imaginable catastrophes, we can rest secure in God's presence as we await his future glory. Today, through this sermon, what I would like to do is um, do two things. First, uh, I I always wanna know what's the story behind the music, right? I want us to see this psalm and hear this psalm as an Old Testament Israelite. How would this psalm have landed to the people of Israel? What was its historical context? This is one where we might have a really good clue. And second, I want us to see more vividly how for us, as we've been singing, Christ himself is the fulfillment of this psalm. So those two things. How would this psalm have landed to the Old Testament uh, nation of Israel. We need to locate this in time and place, and scholars aren't entirely certain, but uh, they have a a strong uh, belief that this psalm was written because it's written by the sons of Korah, and that was in the divided kingdom era after David uh, north and south had split. And likely, this psalm was written either before or in the immediate aftermath of the Assyrians coming against Jerusalem and their king Sennacherib threatening Jerusalem with utter destruction if they didn't kowtow to his wishes. If you want to read more about this, I'll send you to 2 Kings 19, 2 Kings 19, and Isaiah 36 through 37, if you want to look at that later for a fuller account. We don't have time today. But it's likely that this psalm was written in the face of this looming national disaster. Guess who's at our door? Assyria. Yeah, them. One of the most feared nations in the world at that time during the reign of King Hezekiah. And what is the response of Israel? Will it be to seek help from Egypt and the horses and chariots of Egypt? Or will it be to take refuge in God? Look at the first stanza then with me. First, I want us to notice the pronouns here. A lot of psalms that we love, like Psalm 23, 51, uh, 139, they're, they're very first person, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, okay? But notice how corporate this song is. It's for the choir master. It's to be sung according to the Alamoth. That's a chorus of female voices. Alamoth means virgin. It probably just means it was keyed for sopranos, And so they're singing on behalf of the nation of Israel. And the first stanza begins with a bold declaration of trust. It's a kind of preemptive strike of praise against the fear of future calamity. And then we have all of this cataclysmic imagery earth-shaking, mountains being cast into the sea. Let's get ourselves in mind of what what this would mean to someone in the Old Testament. Obviously, we're in California here, so we understand earth-quaking, things like that. If you've ever been in an earthquake, it's terrifying, yes? Even if it's a little one, (laughs) okay? Okay. But it mentions mountains, the the, the mountains be cast into the sea. What is is that about? In in the Old Testament, mountains represented at least two things to the average Israelite. First, they, they were a military advantage in the ancient world. They were natural barriers and strongholds against enemies, Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, was itself situated on a mountain, surrounded by mountains, as it says in Psalm 125, as the mountain's all around Jerusalem, so the Lord is all around his people. And Jerusalem is actually just a little bit lower than those mountains. So they represented strength, a stronghold against enemies. But there was also, of course, the religious significance. Jerusalem built the temple up on the mount, where, th- think throughout the Old Testament, all of the mentions of mountains. We've got Abraham being tested on a mountain. Isaac rescued with a better, with a, with a, with a substitutionary sacrifice. Moses receiving the law. We th- think about the New Testament. Mountains, in short, were a place to meet God. Even to the point of superstition, right? The high places. Hey, let's let's erect some altars here. Get closer to God with all and and, and dally with these foreign deities. But these mount the, though the mountains be cast into the sea, the sea in the Old Testament and in the New to a, to a Jew would represent chaos, disorder, death, wickedness, evil. So let's complete this picture. Mountains are shaking and they're even being thrown into the heart of the sea. What the choir is imagining here, then, is nothing short of the end of the world. And not the metaphorical end of the world, the literal end of the world for them. I can actually relate to this imagery as I recall a few summers back, uh, the most frightened I've ever been on a summer vacation, and it was completely irrational. Uh, but as, as we made our way northward to the Pacific Northwest where my wife is from and then later on to stay on the Oregon coast where we like to, to be as a family, I happened to read an article from The Atlantic written by a woman who had nothing better to do than to uh, plant fear in my heart and no doubt the hearts of, of thousands. What was the topic of her article? It detailed in In long fashion, what would happen if an 8.0 earthquake, which is due any moment now, were to hit the Cascadia Plate just off the coast of the western seaboard, Washington, Oregon, the place where we were heading? And the tsunamis, I'm not going to get into the details because I don't want to... I know a lot of you are from Washington as well, and have and as we have loved ones there. But you can see, you, if you can imagine me here, I am supposed I'm supposed to enjoy my family vacation, the blessings of of having some time off, and I'm running around with my Garmin GPS coordinate watch, riding my bike, trying to figure out what's the highest point up here on the Oregon coast. As I look at these signs, these blue signs that I'd kind of ignored uh, up until this point that say tsunami warning in case of earthquake, move to higher ground. And me trying to do the math, can I get high enough? (laughs) I'm at least glad we have a dog with us who is supposedly able to sense the tremors before minutes before anybody else, buying us a few more, you know, moments perhaps on earth. It was an irrational fear. I should have taken refuge in God, and I was, and I was desperately trying to. But, but that's the imagery that, that we have in this opening stanza mountains falling into the sea. The end of life as we know it. The end of our nation. The end of our worship. But they will not fear. We will not fear, they say. Whatever earthly worst case scenario you can imagine, we won't fear it. Why? And we have that Selah. Selah, it it appears three times throughout the the, the psalm. It's in a few of the other psalms and three times in Habakkuk. Not sure what it means. It might mean a pause, a musical interlude. It might indicate a, a cue to lift hands. It might uh, indicate a crescendo or a forte. We're not sure. But it, but it marks this out and at least gives us a moment to go, hmm. So why won't we fear? Second stanza. Because a river, that's why. What? Why is that better? <laughs> Sounds like you're changing the subject. Why is a river comforting here to your average Old Testament Hebrew? Well, the river is obviously a contrast to the sea, the chaos, the upheaval of the ocean compared to the peaceful channeled streams of water, water that is fresh, water that brings life, that brings vegetation and flourishing. Civilizations are built around it. And because it's a picture, a picture of natural life and flourishing, the Bible then also uses it as a picture of spiritual life and flourishing, as Randy preached on Psalm 1. Those who are blessed are those who meditate on the Lord's word, and, and we're like stream, uh, we're like trees planted by streams of water. Psalm 36:8. You give them drink from the river of your delights for with you is the fountain of life. And this river, then, is no ordinary river. There might be some dual signification here. It's the river where God dwells. It's the holy habitation of the Most High. Now, in the earthly sense, this meant Jerusalem. Recent archaeology has actually discovered there are three underground uh, channels at least one or two of which were hand dug uh, from a spring outside the city that then uh, provide uh, channels of fresh uh, drinkable water to the city. It would have been important for them in the case of a military siege because they couldn't get to it uh, on the outside. But of course, the great fear that Israel has is, but what if Jerusalem falls? What if this mountain is cast into the sea? And then so it's in this stanza that we see this parallel between the natural cataclysmic events and the upheaval and the destruction of nations, the nation's rage, the kingdom's totter, because Israel is having its very existence threatened by a foreign power and what do they do? They take refuge in the God who not only moves mountains, but melts them. We have a mountain-melting God. I mean, you think of, you've seen liquid-hot magma. It happens through pressure, and God does it with an utterance of his word. And help will come in the morning. So look where the psalm takes us next. It's like this chorus is saying, okay, maybe you're not convinced yet. Then come look at what God has done already. Come, behold God's works. Look at his works through history. Look what God did to the Assyrian army in the morning. Because when morning dawned, 185,000 Assyrians lay dead at the hand of the angel of the Lord and not a single arrow or had been fired, not a single siege engine had been lifted, raised against the city. Look at the works of God through history. We must always remind ourselves of that. Look at the broken bows and the shattered spears. Look at the burning chariots just to your left. Look at the wasteland that was once a magnificent kingdom. Look at what God has done and continues to do to the pride of nations. Nineveh, Babylon, Rome. Who's next? The answer, everyone else, eventually. and we need to be struck by the fact that it's against this this kind of violent, battle-torn image that we hear that familiar, cherished verse, be still. In the context here, it, it immediately follows God's destroying the weapons of war and his bringing desolation on the earth. See, there's two ways to hear this verse be still. And how you hear it depends on what you per- put your trust in. For those who trust in earthly power, military might, health, wealth, favorable circumstances, beware. You who would come against God, you who would stand against the Lord and his people, be still. You. Cease striving. Stop it. Know that I am God. I, not you, will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. Psalm 76, 6 declares that your rebuke, O Lord, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse, lay stunned. so we can encourage one another with this psalm. Relief from one's enemies is always comforting, but the comfort must first pass through godly fear. The good news is, is that if God is lifted up and exalted, then everything else can crumble. We will not fear. Everything else might move, we will not be moved. We will not fear. We can be still. We can cease our striving simply knowing that he is our God. When the forces of nature or of earthly kingdoms threaten God's people, he is ever present and his presence is enough. Do we believe that? Do we believe that his presence is enough for us? I confess I don't always believe that. I always think, Maybe something else, I get distracted. But his presence is enough. And one day he will be finally victorious over all nations. And when he is vindicated, we will be vindicated. And his glory will be our gain. That will be part of our reward. So if we can see the kind of comfort that this psalm offered to the Israel of the Old Testament in the face of its mortal danger, How much more can it comfort us today? How is God a very present help in trouble for us? The psalm is all about God in our midst. The Lord of hosts is with us. It's the beginning, middle, and end of the psalm. Did you notice that? Beginning, middle, end, God is present. He's dead center in the middle of it all. He's the beginning, he's the end, and he's at the center of it all. But who is God with us? We've already been singing about it. You already know. Emmanuel, Jesus, the God man. He is the fulfillment of this psalm. He is the one the psalmists were looking forward to, this Messiah. I love that Kenny uh, also came up with uh, Mark 4:39, the story of the disciples being uh, struck with fear on the sea and Jesus stepping up and saying, "Be still." Jesus wasn't just speaking to the weather, he was speaking to the disciples as well. I love the fact that they were continuing to be afraid. Here they were panicked. They thought their life was gonna end and, and Jesus, with a word, silences it all and they're at least as afraid following the peace. Why? Be still. And they knew. They knew that he was God. They knew. They asked, who is it? <laughs> who, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's a purely rhetorical question. They knew that God was in the boat with them. And that's why Peter, in another passage, is reported to have said, get away from me. I am a sinful man. He didn't throw his arms around Jesus and said, yay, he rescued us. He knew what he was dealing with here. Remember, the psalm offers us comfort but that comfort first comes through a warning. God will bring judgment and desolation on the earth before restoring all things. He is righteous and we are not. The question is, at the final judgment, will you be able to stand before a holy and righteous God? Because the worst case scenario for me and for everyone else in this room is not a tsunami hitting the Oregon coast. It's not physical pain. It's not loss of family. It's not even physical death. The worst case scenario for all of us is the eternal pain, suffering, and separation that comes from rejecting our maker and being cut off from him. So will you accept the death of God's son Jesus as payment for your sin? Or will you say, don't you care? What has God ever done for me? The book of Hebrews tells us all about what Christ did for us. And in chapter 12, as the, the preacher winds it down here, he says, refuse, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. And then he talks about in the Old Testament when the earth was shaken and someday when Christ comes back, the earth will be shaken again to reveal that which will last. And the writer concludes, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Friends, if you are here today and you wanna take comfort in this psalm and you really do want to believe that there is a God who is, who can be, who is with you and that, and that believing this, it will somehow give you the courage to face whatever upheaval that life is throwing at you at this particular time, let me invite you to put your trust in Jesus Christ because that's God's solution. He's made a way. Christ was exalted and lifted up on the earth and he continues to be exalted and lifted up among the nations. He's made a way. He's made a way for all of us. When he died on the cross, he took the death that we all deserve for the sin that we bring to this world, you and me. But the better news is that he rose victorious from the grave. He conquered death so that we someday have the hope of resurrection as well, just as he rose bodily, physically, from the dead. And that we will have eternal life. If you wanna put your trust in Jesus right now, today, I want you to talk to me after the service or, or, or anybody with, with a lanyard. You could probably talk to a lot of other people too, but you know, you might get a, I don't know, who knows, uh, you, you know, but there, there are, <laughs> if you're in this room and would love to talk to somebody about Jesus, raise your hand, put your hands up, yeah, come on, I don't see enough hands, <laughs> or maybe that's good, all right, all of the rest of you. For those of us who do believe, how do we apply this psalm this week? Kenny suggested uh, a lot of us bring things from our week into the service and we're still kind of bobbing, still kind of reeling. Maybe you already got that letter. Maybe you already had that doctor's visit. Maybe you already got that phone call in the middle of the night. I've been there, and I know you have too. It took courage from a story from a dear friend. This was several years ago, many years ago now, but um, as she related the story, she had had to go in for some tests. And she went into the doctor, and the doctor said, We have the results. I think you need to sit down. And she said, I, I remember saying, I, I, don't, I don't know if it, it must have been the Holy Spirit, but I stood straight up. I looked him in the eye and I said, you can tell me, I am not afraid. What goes into that? How does a person get to that point when the diagnosis is bad? When the news is not what you wanted? When you had these plans and they went this way? How do we prepare? We must put our hope in Christ. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the final answer. He's the answer to sin, death, the worst that anyone can do to us. He's made the way. Because our friend knew that even if this was a worst case earthly scenario, her hope was in Christ. And even if her flesh would be destroyed, that she would still see God and enjoy Him forever. How do we as a church take comfort in this psalm? Remember, this is a corporate hymn, a, 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 a song to be sung as a choir. What earthly mountains do we as a church sometimes take confidence in that we shouldn't? What are the raging seas we think we need to be afraid of? Do we fear losing our religious freedom? Do we fear the spread of global terrorism to the point that it distracts us and paralyzes us in fear? Do we fear losing our tax-exempt status? The government taking this building away? Things like that. Sounds pathetic when I say it. We have everything. We have God. We have the God of Jacob. The God of history. And I know we're all in different places this morning. Go back to that thing you wrote down or if you didn't write it down, Go back to it in your mind. And offer it up to the Lord. Lord, this is my fear. I'm worried about this. When I'm, when I'm not guarding my heart and mind, this is where, my, this is where I go. And that's going to look different for everyone. You're a student, a single person, a parent, mom, dad, grandparent, a boss, an employee. I know we're all in very different places, but we have our fears, don't we? And so the question is, what are your mountains? What is the solid earth that you take for granted that if it were to start shaking, you would lose confidence? What are the raging seas that you fear that might be threatening your security? And are you taking refuge in Christ? Are you taking refuge in the hope of eternal life with him? And maybe things are going great. Maybe you're kind of irritated that I'm bringing this up. I don't want to think about that. All right, fine. Then minister to somebody else. (laughs) Because Christ's body, the church, is another way God offers his presence on earth. Amen? Amen? And we need to be present for each other. Let's walk in to the hurt, to the suffering, to the fears that we all have. and Let's love one another as Christ loved us. We're free to do that because Christ has given us everything. What can man do to us? Let's pray. Father, help us to take comfort and courage in these words, help us to take comfort and courage in your presence. And Father, may we long for your glory. May we long for the day when we see you face to face. The Lord, in the meantime, help us to take refuge in you, cast all our fears and anxiety upon you because you care for us, and help us to encourage one another as we see the day approaching. Amen.